to start this week uh, teaching through First and Second Peter, and I'm going to go kind of sequentially uh, through those verses, and we're going to we're going to take our time. But what we what we've kind of decided to do is for me to to teach about three um, lessons or about three weeks. And then maybe have like a one-off that somebody else does. That way it gives you a break, gives me a break. I do um, run my own business, so I stay really busy throughout the week working with Computer Helper. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I want to I want to uh, study as I can throughout the week and be prepared for our, our, our teaching time. But it is nice to have a you know a break every every few weeks. So that gives you an opportunity if you do have. Uh, a one-off lesson, something that you would like to, to maybe share with the church that's longer than the five or seven minutes that we do uh, during the share time, and come and see me or Steve, or you can talk to Chris. We can all, uh, you know, just try to help guide you along with that. The, the book, To Preach or Not to Preach, is kind of important with that. We want everybody that's going to uh, maybe do a one-off just to kind of uh, share with us that desire of it not being just an hour-long lecture, but trying to, you know, which, which we're, you know, that is sometimes easier for us to do. It takes me more uh, preparations in some ways to be able to try to prepare myself for the questions that might be asked or the uh, things that might be uh, shared that, that we need to talk about. But, but just know that there are those opportunities that will come up throughout. We're not just going to uh, go through this and, and, and not take any break from First Peter or, or Second Peter at all during this process. We're going we're gonna, to uh, go for several weeks and maybe take a break for a week and then go, go back, right back to it. All right. So... Uh, I did post in the Telegram group, I uh, did not post this on Facebook, um, but I did ask that, that folks read through 1 Peter this week. So I'm just kind of curious, who had the opportunity this week to read through 1 Peter? Had the opportunity, yeah, that was kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who had the opportunity, and, uh, and then who actually did, and then the hands go down. So I would, I would ask you, it takes about... About 15 or 20 minutes to read through First Peter. Uh, just to let you know, I probably read through it about 50 times over the last, because uh, I've known for a couple of months that I was going to be teaching through First and Second Peter, and I've read through it a bunch. And it's amazing how how much of a uh, a better picture you can get, and how much how much more complete your overall uh, understanding of this letter is by reading it in one sitting over and over and over again. I can assure you, I think, uh, I can assure you this, that the early church, when they received the letter, the churches that received a copy of this letter probably didn't read a verse and then set it down and then come back to it seven days later and then read another verse. They probably sat down and read it. I'm guessing, it's just me, I'm thinking there would have been weeping, there would have been prayer, there would have been celebration. I mean, I can't even imagine. I would love to have been there when these churches received this letter uh, from from Peter to see their reaction and to see what happened. Uh, I mean, they, they may have even broken out into all-night prayer meetings, who knows, just in response to the words of God being sent to them from the Apostle Peter. So, uh, But I ask you to read it. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. Maybe read it a couple times as a family read it and just... Just make sure that as you come in here on Sundays that your mind uh, is not just thinking about a few words in First Peter, but you're just thinking about this entire letter uh, that this, uh, this incredible man of God wrote to the churches. Okay, So I want to start out this morning asking uh, a couple of questions. We've got to do some introductory work. We've got to understand kind of the... How, high, the, how, the why, the, the where, you know, the who, all that kind of stuff. We need to ask those questions. I want to start out this morning by just answering the question of why. Why would we study Peter's letters? There are several of you that have come to me uh, since you heard that I was going to be teaching through First and Second Peter. I've had several people come to me and tell me how excited they are. You've come to me and you've said, I'm excited to read through and study through these letters because of the impact that these letters have had on your life. And I agree with that. First and Second Peter have had a tremendous impact on me as a, as a follower of Christ. One of the reasons why I think it's important is uh, I really find a lot of comfort in the idea and the, and the, and the teaching that's, that's shared throughout the Scripture on uh, you know, what we might call the, the witness of two or three. Multiple times that, that phrase is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament where a thing is established by the witness of two or three. In other words, a thing wasn't established just because one person came and said something. 
it really it took a couple people testifying to whatever that matter is for for the uh, you know for the collective whole of people to say you know what that thing is established and confirmed because it's not just one person saying it's multiple people saying it. So what what in what way can can Peter's letters be that witness of two or three? I have spent most of my uh, adult Christian life studying the writings of Paul, and so when you read First and Second Peter and you see all of the ways that Peter is saying the same thing that Paul is saying, maybe in a little bit different way, they were two very different people. A lot of times Paul would say it in a confusing way, according to Peter, but Peter and Paul both would say and are saying the same things about Jesus and about the uh, you know about the the Christian life. They just come about it in different ways, and so when I read what Peter had to say about a truth that Paul taught on, man, it brings me such just uh, just confidence that we've got it right and that we are we're understanding what Jesus wants us to understand. So a lot of confidence in that. We'll look through those different things as we go through this letter or these two letters. So even though Peter uh, is written about more in the New Testament than any other follower of Christ, there's so many things that we're going to talk about in a few minutes about Peter's life. But Peter was written about, he became such an incredible leader in the church. This is interesting to me, to me that he only gets about 3% of the New Testament's uh, words that are, that are written. And that was just a simple, I mean, you know, uh, just a simple math problem. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament, and Peter writes 8 of those 260. And so about 3% of the New Testament writing is Peter, yet he had such a tremendous impact on the church, and he had such a tremendous impact even within the disciples as they were following Jesus. So only 3% of the New Testament is his, and that's compared to Paul, who was just under 50% of the New Testament. And so it makes sense why we spend so much time reading the letters and studying the letters of Paul. Um, because Peter only wrote these two short letters, the letters are packed full of, of things for us to consider, doctrines for us to understand, instructions for us to to, you know, to, to understand and put into practice and to obey. He gave so much, so much hope in these letters, and so that's part of what we're going to be dealing with. Because it's such a small amount of the New Testament, there's a lot packed in there, and that's why it's going to take us you know, some time to kind of go through. That's why today, uh, at best, we make it through verses 1 and 2. And as I say, at best, I put into the, the teaching today at least two places where we can stop, because it might just be that we have to take it that slow. But we'll go slow through it. In some ways, that's just the way we do it here at ARF. We take things pretty slow when we're going through passages and when we're going through teachings. We just do that. But we want to learn all we can. That's the point. We want to learn all that we can from this man, Peter, that had an experience with Jesus that was really, like, uh, that was really unlike any of the other followers of Jesus that really have ever lived. All right? So we want to, we want to do that. We want to go through and take everything that we can and, and try to put it into practice, understand it, and get everything that we can from this man, Peter. All right, so let's talk for a few minutes about when this letter was written. This is really crucial. It, it will help us understand um, you know, some of, some of the, uh, the passages, why Peter may have said what he said or why he said it the way he said it when we, when we answer the question of when this letter was written. So it's believed that Peter wrote the letter in the mid-60s A.D., maybe sometime around 64 A.D., somewhere in there. And I want to know this... Can somebody remind us of something that was happening in the Roman Empire about that time that impacted the Christian uh, communities in a major way? Raymond. Significant persecution. Significant persecution. And, and specifically by who? Nero. That's right. So y'all remember the story. Nero's persecution of the early church took place in the mid-60s A.D. It's kind of debated on when it exactly, like what the time frame was. But we know it was triggered by an event that was pretty horrific. But it was the fire of Rome. Y'all studied that and you remember that, that historical um, event that took place. It devastated a, a, a large portion of of the buildings that were built in Rome, you know, kind of the the um, the rumor was that he started the fires because he wanted to rebuild. As people got angry about it, 
he needed somebody to blame. And so he blamed the Christians. <clears throat> so in order to deflect the blame, he shifted it towards the Christians. The Christians had already been talking about this fire from heaven and all these different things. And so he, uh, in order to keep himself from getting persecuted by the people, he turned it around and, um, and put it on the Christians and blamed them. So during his uh, uh, persecution of the Christian church, the church was <clears throat> arrested, tortured. Um, I mean, the persecution was horrific. They were executed. The way in which they were executed was horrific. You know some of the stories about uh, you know, the Christians. What, what's one of the more significant of those stories? You know, keeping in mind there are children in the room, but... Uh, what, what, what's one of the more significant things, horrific things that he did? Burning Christians. <clears throat> yeah. Just lining the streets and lining that area with, uh, with Christians uh, tied up and, and being burned. And so that is the context of, of where uh, Peter was. So this was, this, these letters were either written right before Nero started <clears throat> this persecution, or it could be that, it, that these letters were written while it is already going on. We just simply don't know that. But either way, uh, Peter saw the way Christians were being treated, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but, uh, but he, he saw that persecution, and that is the context. Um, Peter knew that the uh, persecution wasn't just going to happen to a small group. Uh, this is kind of our, our first slide that I wanted to share with you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, later in the, in the letter, he tells them, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so Peter knew that this persecution wasn't something that only a small group of Christians were going to deal with. Persecution was coming and had arrived, and it was going to impact everybody that followed after Jesus. So I'm going to ask you this. Imagine you were somebody, <clears throat> imagine you were even Peter, but you're, uh, you know, imagine that you were uh, hearing about these things that were happening to your brothers and sisters uh, in Christ in Rome and maybe in other places too. But in, in particular in Rome, think about what Nero was doing. This this horrific, cruel, demonic way he was treating Christians in Rome. And imagine you being uh, a believer in some other place, maybe hours and hours or days and days away, but you still heard how the Christians were being treated. And let me ask you, what emotions might you, as a believer, hearing what was going on in Rome, what emotions might you deal with and struggle with? Grief and fear. That's two of the ones I had. Grief and fear. Anger. And anger. That was the other one that I put down. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. You know, sometimes in, in our share time or some other time, we'll get testimonies from missionaries and other places around the world and we'll hear some of the ways that they are being treated. It, it really is its hard for us to imagine because of the way that we live in the United States. We may have some persecution, some, you know, some, and it's hard to even use that, that word, but it's real. There are times in our country because of the direction our country is going where we face trouble. Let's just put it that way. We, we, we may face a little bit of trouble or some, you know, some difficulties because Specifically because we are a believer. But think about and let it sink in what they were possibly experiencing or at least hearing of other brothers and sisters in Christ experiencing how that would impact you knowing that it could just be around, be around the corner. If you heard about this kind of persecution going on in the United States, maybe you heard about it happening in Florida, that Christians were being burned. Okay, well that's just across state lines. What would you think? What feelings would you have? You might have what these guys have all expressed. And the other word that I put, any other words that come to your mind of what you might be thinking as you hear about your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's going on in their lives, any other words come to mind of what might be on anxiety. your heart? What is it? Anxiety. Anxiety. And I even put down despair. Of just is this, is this even worth it? Are we, you know, what, what, you know what's going to happen? Yeah. So as we read this letter and study it together, as much as we can, let's try to keep in our mind the difficulties that this early church family was facing. Because it will impact the way you read it, and we'll try to apply those 
uh, those things that we read into our lives and what we're going through, but we never want to take it out of the context of what they were going through when Peter wrote this letter. So then we got to ask the question, because this is important, where was Peter when he was writing this letter? Does anybody have a, does anybody know, or actually it would be hard to say you know, but does anybody have a, a good guess as to where Peter might have been when he wrote this letter? The general belief is that he actually was in Rome. But the text doesn't explicitly say that. So what we can, what we can see, though, is that in uh, chapter 5, this is at the end when he's kind of given his, his goodbyes in the letter, he makes this statement. He says, She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. So Babylon, uh, we think, was probably a code word just like it was in the book of Revelation for Rome. And so what he was saying is that she who is in Rome, this is probably what he, what he means. There was, I think, a city called Babylon. But we, uh, most of the historians and, the, and the, the people that have studied these things much more than me agree that he is probably referring to Rome here. And he says, uh, she who is in Babylon. So who is she? Again, people debate that. They're, you know, Peter was married. And so something, well, maybe it's he was referring to his wife. Um, I guess possibly. Some people think he's just talking about the church that was in Rome. But that kind of wouldn't match up with the way all throughout the letter he keeps talking about the brotherhood. This was a feminine noun here, the, the she. So, uh, so that kind of wouldn't match up with him the way he refers to the church as a whole. Um, so who was, he, who was he talking about? We don't really know. I think the point of it is, though, that there was someone that he was with that was probably in Rome. And so, kind of the general consensus is, Peter was writing this from Rome, and if that's true, that means he was experiencing firsthand, he was seeing with his eyes, either what Nero was doing, or just the persecution that was brewing and that was happening already around the Christian church. But if he was in Rome, and he was seeing these things firsthand, why might that be significant to him writing this letter? Why do you think Peter, why would it be so important for Peter in writing this letter to know what he was seeing with his eyes? Yeah. If he's seeing it firsthand, he knows what's about to, what's about to take place around the rest of the, the world. So he's seeing it, he knows what's happening here in Rome, and he knows that's what's about to take place throughout the entire Roman Empire. It's also a fulfillment of what Jesus had said was going to take place. Yeah, that's right. Because Jesus had told them, the world's going to hate you, right? And I think it's interesting, too, we'll talk about this a, a little bit later, but, um, you know, but Peter knew not only firsthand uh, what he was seeing in Rome, but he also, I'm sure, remembered what Jesus said about his death and the way he would die. And perhaps what Peter was thinking in his mind was, okay, this persecution is probably going to lead to my demise, to, me, to my life being ended as well. But him seeing that firsthand persecution gave him a desire, like Jeff said, to give a warning to the church about what's going to take place, be ready for it, and uh, this, is how, this is how you are to handle what's going to come your way. If you remember what early Christian writings say about uh, where Peter was when he died, it would match up with Peter being in Rome. Origen and Tertullian, uh, uh, Tert uh, Tertullian both mentioned the details of, of Peter's death being in Rome. And so I just think that probably Peter was in Rome writing this letter and he wanted to send out a warning uh, to the people that were in the church spread about. So seeing this persecution, knowing how he would die, Peter wrote this letter to those that would be facing a very difficult future. Alright, so let's answer the question of why though. Why would Peter write this letter? There's so much packed into it and you can actually pick up on, on, the, on the why, why Peter wrote it by, uh, as you just read through it. But Peter wrote this, this letter, what would your first guess be? Why would he write this to the, to the folks? A warning we've already said, but what else? Encouragement. Encouragement, comfort. 
And we're going to see a lot of instruction as well. He's going to give a lot of how-to when it comes to living the, the life as a believer. Well, if he thinks that his demise is at hand, it could be his last chance to, to speak to the body of Christ. Yeah, amen. I had that, that same thought. That he, he, he knew the end was coming. He wanted to make sure that he left them with instructions and encouragement and all these things that we're going to read about. So he begins and ends the letter with these words of, of asking God to bring peace to them. We're going to talk about that maybe today or maybe next week. But, he, but he, just, he wanted the church as a whole to be at peace. Knowing that what was coming down the pipe for them, the unsettled you know, future, we don't know what the future is going to be for them, but it looks like it's going to be filled with a lot of suffering, a lot of heartache. And he wanted them to be at peace, even if everything around them looked chaotic and looked crazy. He wanted them to be at peace. Gerald? Yeah. You know, think of it like this, that if you had one week left and you wanted mm-hmm. to write a letter to your children, yeah. right? what would you want them to know? What's, what's the most important things that you want to leave behind? Mm-hmm. Right? That's kind of the, mm-hmm. hey, I've, I've got to get this out here. I may not have another chance. So think of it, think of it as writing a letter to your children. Uh, kind of the last, last thing to say, I want to tell you this. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt he had poured his life into, into the different churches, but yeah, just leaving them these final words. This is the last opportunity that I may have to share with you, and I just want to make sure you get this and hold on to it and have it to hold on to for the rest of your days. Yeah, I agree. That's great, Robert. Well, I'm not suggesting that we as a country or as Christians in the United States are going through uh, and in a similar place that the church in this first century, you know, where they were. But I do know that the struggles that we deal with, looking at the state of where we are as a, as a country, as a nation, um, I do believe that some of those similar emotions get stirred up in us. Would you agree? Do you believe that the, you know, when we watch what, what seems to be a country that is, you know, that the, the, maybe the, the leadership of the country or just the country in general is just heading off a cliff, and, and we're being kind of, in some ways, drug along with them, and we're warning, and we're trying to say, you know, uh, stop, stop, you know, this is dangerous, this is not good, God is not not pleased with these, these things that we're seeing. Um, it can stir up some of the same things in us, fear and anger and despair. But again, I'm not comparing what we are going to do. We still, even with all of the things that we see in our government, maybe corruption that we see and the, the evil practices that we see, uh, it still is not going to compare to what we read about in the historical, uh, you know, the documented history of what took place in the life of those early Christians. Okay, we're not going to in any way say, yeah, we can relate. We can't relate to what they do. Now, some people in this in this world can. There are places that you can go and missionaries you can talk to and you can get firsthand, you know, similar type actions being brought about them as believers in other countries. But here in the States, not so much. But we do deal with some of those same things. So I want to make sure, and I believe it's important for us to hear what Peter had to say to these believers because we can apply those those principles uh, to our lives so that we can be better equipped to handle the things that we deal with. Not just today, but what we deal with in the future. I will tell you that our focus as we go through these two letters... It's going gonna, gonna to be to try to stick with the goal that Peter had when he was, what it seems like his goal was in writing these letters. To stick with the comfort and instruction that we can get, the encouragement, the equipping that we can get from these letters. But I'll tell you there are some of the things that Peter writes that are, that are up for much debate. There are many debatable matters, such as the recipients even. You know, who was it that, that was receiving this letter? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. The purpose of the letter. People debate on that. Eschatology matters. Uh, submission to kings and rulers. When we get to that verse, I mean, people debate on what does that mean and how does that apply to us. Baptism comes up as a big debatable matter. And even salvation uh, is, a, is a debatable matter within, within these, uh, these writings of Peter. Even the authorship. Did Peter even write this letter? Believe it or not, that is something that is that is uh, in more modern days debated. We're actually going to look at that in just a minute. 
And as we come across these different portions of, of the, pa- the passages that we look at, the different scriptures, as we get to those, um, those passages that are more debatable, I'm just going to tell you my goal in teaching through this is to not, um, you know, I'll touch on those things, but I'm going to try my best to stick with what Peter was trying to communicate to his, to his followers. So there may be some things that are debatable about in 1 Peter and 2 Peter that you're not satisfied that I cover enough because you want to debate it and you want to go through it. That's fine. You can do that around the table during the Lord's Supper or maybe you and I can talk about it later, but I'm going to do my best to stick with what I, uh, what I see Peter trying to communicate to his followers so that we can get from that um, the things that Peter, I believe, would want us to learn as well. So as we come across those uh, debatable and sometimes even uh, topics that can be very, very divisive. We're going to try to stick with, uh, well, we may touch on those things, but not lose the focus of why Peter wrote the letter. So I mentioned to you that it's debatable who wrote the letter, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but, but and it's more of a modern thing, but there are some uh, modern uh, scholars who say that this just simply doesn't sound like Peter. And they try to argue against him being the author of, on, on its authenticity. However, until recently, that really wasn't something that was up for debate. They say that because Peter was just a fisherman, that he wouldn't have been uh, schooled enough to be able to write such a uh, sophisticated letter. To which I would say, you know, that, that sounds good and that might make you uh, have the, uh, you know, the, the reason to take 1 Peter and 2 Peter out of the Scripture uh, if you don't like it, but it doesn't make it true. Uh, we'll see in a moment that Peter uh, plainly states who the author of the letter is. And there really, up until recent days, has not been any reason to try to debate that. But what about Peter? They, they say this doesn't sound like him. It's too, too sophisticated. And I'll, I'll just, you know, in a minute we're going to discuss Peter's life. But I would just say that he was a very strong leader in the church. And I want to remind you that uh, there was a moment uh, in Acts where, you know, Peter was... And, and I think John, they were talking and, and, and preaching and, and all of their audience, this is, what, this is what Luke wrote in Acts. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. So yeah, Peter was an uneducated, he was a fisherman. Uh, just common men, but look what it says. It says they were astonished. In other words, they knew that the way they were talking doesn't match up with their education, which to me, man, that's glorious. <laughs> I'm so glad that my, that my ability to be used by the Lord in the life of the church and out in the, uh, out in the world isn't dependent upon my education and my background. Amen. We call those spiritual gifts. We call those uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use you in a way that doesn't match up with the way that you were, you were made uh, from the beginning. There are things that God wants to use you to do that when you walk away, you scratch your head and say, man, that wasn't me. Jesus Isn't that the smarter. point of it, right? Jesus makes you smarter. Jesus makes you smarter, that's right. <laughs> he, through the Holy Spirit, He, he used uh, you know, the simplest of men to confound the wise, as the Scripture says. So when I read Peter's writings, and I hear somebody say, that doesn't sound like Peter because he, he was an uneducated man, I would say, well, man, you, that proves to me you don't understand the way the Holy Spirit works. Because the Holy Spirit wants to use uneducated men. Jesus chose a fisherman for a reason. And I would also just say, well, how long had Peter been a, a part of the church? If Peter wrote this letter in the mid-60s A.D., how long had he been, you know, been a minister in the church, been walking with the church family, being around other people that were educated? How long? How many years? Just guessing, approximately. 30 years. Well, I thought it was interesting. How much could Peter have changed over 30 years, right? What could he have continued to learn over 30 What were you like 30 years ago? I would love to, but I don't think there's anybody in the room that I've known for 30 years. I haven't even known my wife. We've been married 26 years. We've been married longer. We've had more days being married than, than we were single people. And I still haven't known her in 30 years. But think about how much just in the 27 years that, that Pamela and I have been walking together, how much, how, much we've cha- how much have you changed in the last 30 years? This church started about 30 years ago. I, I don't... How long have you... How, Keith and Aretta, you guys were here when this church started, right? So let me ask you a question. How much have y'all changed in the last 30 years? Quite a bit? Just a little. 
Is there anybody else in the room that's been here like the entire time? I mean, you guys have been here for almost the entire time. You guys have probably been here for almost the entire time. Has, has this church changed a lot over the 30 years? Oh, yeah. yeah. Funny stuff, right? 30 years. So why would we question that? I don't question it. When I see Peter's... Uh, um, when I see Peter, uh, you know, his letter, if it doesn't sound like what he used to be, all I can say is, well, praise God, uh, none of us are as we, as we were, right? So I praise God for that. I trust that Peter is smarter, wiser, more mature uh, when he wrote this letter than he was 30 years prior when he first began to be a part and a leader in the church. Now, he also states at the end of the letter... Um, that Sylvanius played some kind of a role. I didn't put the scripture up there, but um, but he at the end of the letter he does say you know, something you know along the lines that it seems like Sylvanius uh, played a role in at least writing down. Like maybe Peter was was saying the words to him and he was writing it down. Um, doesn't give us specifics about that, but could it be that that even in some of the the things that that were written down as Peter was was sharing those things with Sylvanius, that Sylvanius made, you know, would there have been anything wrong with Sylvanius saying, you know what, uh, maybe word it this way, and Peter said, you know what, that's great, let's let's do that. I mean, that doesn't negate anything about the Holy Spirit's work in Peter's life, because in the end, Peter's the one that took, I don't want to, I'm not going to say credit, because it's not, you know, the Holy Spirit gets credit for writing First Peter, but at the very beginning, we're going to look at, Peter makes no mistake that it was, it was his name that he was putting on this letter. Not Sylvanius, not, not anyone else. It was his name that he was putting on it. Gerald. Yes. Um, and then Mark, people said Mark wrote down uh, Peter's sermons. Right. right. Could this also be a similar? I mean, it could be. I mean, you know, the, uh, Mark recording all of Peter's life and sermons and, and, and making those into his gospel message, it could be that there's you know, some things that could have gone in into this, conversations that took that took place, we just don't know. Uh, but in the end, you know, we just settle with what Peter says at the very beginning that it is Peter you know, that wrote the letter. Now, I do have one problem, though, that I need your help with. I have spent the majority of my Christian life studying the letters of Paul. It's 50, almost 50% of the New Testament. Um, it is inevitable. I think I actually did it this morning talking to Pamela about some of the things we're going to be talking about that we're sharing with you today. Um, there, there is. It is inevitable. I'm going to say Paul and me to Peter. Okay. So I need y'all to help me. I need you to practice this little cough where you can go <coughs> so that I can know. If I, but if I say I'm, I'm not going to be teaching Paul's writings during these next, uh, you know, several several weeks, maybe however long we're in this. So if you hear me say Paul, it, uh, well, yeah. No, no. If, if you hear me say Paul, just know that I'm. I probably mean Peter, but it's just, it's kind of that, you know, when you're when you're teaching, your mind is thinking kind of ahead, and you've got all these things, here. and the last thing that I'm going to spend time, uh, you know, really thinking through is make sure I say Peter and not Paul. I'm just going to let y'all help me with that uh, so that I don't get distracted, but I do it, I did, and I know I do that. So if I say if I say Paul, just know I probably mean Peter, so help me with that. So if you want to do the little cough and, and uh, help me get back track, that's fine, so... All right, so let's get into our text, though. Let's get at the very beginning um, and, and see who wrote this letter, all right, and, and what can we learn about his life. So he starts out by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he starts out with Peter, an apostle. So that's why I say he doesn't make any, uh, you know, there, there, in my mind there's no room for skepticism about who wrote this letter. Uh, Peter wrote it. Peter is, his role as a leader among the disciples is made clear in the Gospels. If you uh, sit down and read any of the Gospels, you're going you're gonna to see over and over again stories about, about Peter. The other, the other uh, disciples, of course, have their stories and, and the things that God used them to do and that, he said to, that Jesus said to them. But Peter is a highlight over and over and over again. So we know a great deal about Peter's life because of how much is written about him in the Gospels. And it gives us incredible insight into this incredible, wonderful journey from him being a fisherman to him being a fisher of men as Jesus made him. 
to being sent out as an apostle of Jesus Christ to eventually feed the sheep that Jesus wanted him to feed. So I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about what do we know about Peter from the New Testament. This may be the funnest part of the whole teaching to me. I just love, I love these stories. And I'm curious, what's, what are those stories about Peter's life that are most interesting to you? So, so what do we know about Peter's life in the New Testament? What stands out about his personality and his role among the disciples? So what I want us to do for just a few minutes is just kind of popcorn different things that come to your mind that are just interesting about you know maybe things that Peter did or said or said to him that just made him kind of a very unique individual in the New Testament. Walking on water, for sure. Man, what, what a sermon. I use that all the time in trying to help people understand just the courage of Peter, but yet the failure of Peter in that moment, and just how incredible it is of Jesus uh, reaching down and, and, and bringing him back. Just that picture of restoration. He didn't let him die, in other words. Um, yeah, so walking on water, amazing. What else? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. He was one of the ones that got to go and, and, and see something that no humans are, you know, I mean, he got to see Jesus transfigured. He got to see the, uh, you know, uh, together with Moses, Elijah. He got to see that take place with his own eyes. Amazing. In that same story, I don't know if you call it impulsive, but he didn't know what to say. Yeah. Right? And so he had to say something. And it seems like that happens a lot. Where, you know, I like that. You just don't know what to say, so you say something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not always the best yeah. thing, but. Yeah. We're not we're not going to disparage Peter, but man, his his mouth was something to, to behold, right? But mine is too. Wait, wait, that's why we can't point fingers because I uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm, I'm can I build you a tent it. right now can while you, you're while you're talking? Can, you <laughs> can I just build you a tent? <laughs> wow. He's the first to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. Tell tell us about that proclamation, man. That is well glorious. Jesus, of course, said, "Who do men say that I am?" And uh, then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, with a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit, Amen. said that you are the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where he got his name, Peter, right? Before then, he, he, was, he was Simon, and Jesus said, no, you're, you're Peter. This rock, this is, you know, and, and of course, that gets debate. there's no debate in that in anyone here about what Jesus meant by that. But that proclamation of Jesus being Christ, that is, that is salvation for those that, that believe that, that proclamation He is, you know, He is the Son of God. When, when your eyes are open to that and you proclaim Him as, as Christ, uh, man, that's where the church was built is on that, that proclamation. Yeah, so that's amazing. What else? And then just a moment after that, he denied. <laughs> so why do you have to bring that up? <laughs> yeah. It's recorded for us to bring it up, right? So absolutely, yeah. Three times. <laughs> yeah. What else? Jesus Isn't that amazing? I, I, I thought about that this week too. Can you imagine being that disciple that says to Jesus, "You're wrong. It's not going to happen." <laughs> not so. Not so, Lord. Yeah. So he he rebuked Jesus, and Jesus had to rebuke Peter uh, multiple times. Sometimes, really, like the, the whole the whole out thing. You have to can't read it without saying, like, "Man, that had to hurt." Get behind me, Satan. That would have been hard words to hear after you made such a you know such a bold. Proclamation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. What else? There's also all in. I mean, Jesus said, you're not going to leave me? He said, where are we going to go? Yeah. There was a season in my life where I just about couldn't read that without just breaking down in tears of just... I mean, do you feel that way? Do you relate to what Peter said in that moment when all these people were, were leaving? And, uh, you know, they're telling you that, you know, that's too hard, it's too hard, it's too hard. And Jesus looks at the disciples and said, do you also want to leave? And, and Peter's like... Where are we going? Yeah, where are we going to go? You got the words of life. You think I'm going to go back to? And it's interesting, isn't it, with Peter? Where are we going to go? I'm not going to go back to fishing. Right. And then he did. It's like <laughs> <laughs> he did go back to fishing, right? So Jesus had to go and uh, get him again. So here's the thing. But that proclamation that, Je- that, that, that Peter made to Jesus, 
uh, in my mind, it speaks to that. Did Peter at times, uh, you know, get sidetracked and, and say things or do things uh, off? I mean, yeah, and those are recorded for us to read it and learn from it. But I, I do find it interesting that, that when he made that proclamation, I mean, that ought to be where we live. Let me ask you, church, is there anything out there? Is there anything out there that would make what's in here not worth it anymore? And the answer is no. We God has given us the words of people. Listen, the enemy's going to come along, and he might even try to scare you away. He may try to distract you away. He may try to uh, all sorts of different things to try to get you away from your relationship with Jesus. But I just want to tell you this morning that what Peter proclaimed that moment of where else would we go? Live by that that same those same words, God. I would never. I, I don't. I, I don't know where else I would go. Where am I going to find words that give me life? You won't. There is nowhere else. He is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus alone is the answer. What other What other things do you think of? We're covering this all. The this is good, man. I'm I'm enjoying the the stories of Peter's life. What else? Yeah, Robert. Um, and then Ben. I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, ben. he got outran. <laughs> When he shows up, he's he's in, right? He goes all the way into the tomb. I don't know how many of us would walk right into the tomb. But he did. He was was that kind of sort of the impulsiveness that we talked about. I'm in, I'm in. So he goes in and he looks to see what we had heard. Hey, we've heard that he's been raised from the dead and he wanted he wanted to see. So he didn't he didn't hesitate, right, in that in that moment. Sometimes I wonder too the relationship between between Peter and John, and just the, you know, they're ha- they're, they, they, I don't know, they had to have an, an amazing, because they were in that tight group, that, that small group together with Jesus, and, and uh, for, for them to experience that, to go into that tomb and the tomb to be empty, and um, wow. What else? What other things did Peter had a sword, but he wasn't very good with it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Peter? Actually, he was trying to take the guy's head off, and he took his ear off. Yeah. I don't think anybody thinks he was aiming for the ear either. He was the most amazing. This fisherman had learned to be the most amazing. You know, uh, we, we we could bring we could bring. Uh, you know, I don't mean to embarrass Carrie, but 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 you guys have done the the fencing stuff. I mean, either Peter had learned how to be very intricate in his swordsmanship, or uh, he was just a bad shot. He was trying he was trying to defend well, trying Jesus, to head, or trying to his head down the middle yeah. and he missed. And he just missed. But again, you know, it's recorded. It's recorded. We're not. We're not disparaging Peter because, trust me, when we get into his letter, you're going to see how much, how much I adore, and I know you already do adore the work of God in Peter's life. It was recorded for us to say all of these things about Peter were his past. We're getting ready to read a letter that shows where he where he ended up at the end of his life. And that, to me, is going to be what's going to be so glorious. Let me go to Ben, and then we'll go to Carter. So, Ben. Um, I believe, I'm not positive, but I believe when Jesus raised the um, little girl from the dead, after he was on the road, and then the woman with the bleeding tongue touched Jesus, and then she was healed, and then he continued on because the Pharisee had come and asked for Jesus to raise his daughter, or that his daughter was sick. He gets there, and the daughter's dead. Hmm. And, um, but he's like, no, she's just sleeping. And anyway, so Jesus goes in and he said, only you three come and look. And I believe it was James, John, and Peter. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first time I think he rose someone from the dead. And he just said, don't tell anybody. So. so he got to see what that would be, what that was like. That's amazing. Yeah, go ahead, Carter. Uh, it's also at Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, now all these people are speaking in different languages and like stuff. He like, you know, I guess that kind of goes around with the whole mouth, you know, his words and stuff, but he just seems to like look around and like, oh, I've got to do this. Like, you know, he's, you know, has this like speech that like tells people like what you need to do now, yeah. you know, what to do next. And yeah. Who was it that Paul uh, like corrected his name? Was that that? Yeah. yeah. So there's that. It seems that he very much was, didn't try to hide his emotions or what he thought or what he felt. It seems that he very much let everyone know. Yeah. You know, along that line, um, when he's talking about his relations, it's really important because it was Peter. You know, Jesus said, you know, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witness. And so here's Peter with Cornelius, right? The gospel comes to the Gentiles, so he's he's the guy. And so he, everybody, anybody should have known the Gentiles are in. Okay, you know, God, God revealed it to me, and yet 
know, he shrinks back a little bit or whatever. And, yep. and so maybe maybe we take comfort from him. Of course, like you say, he's 30 years out, so he's gotten past it, I'm sure of it, but his life kind of reveals those <coughs> milestones and yeah. stumbling stones. Yeah. Well, Jesus Amen. wanted to wash Peter's feet, and first he said no, <coughs> then he wanted to give him a bath. Yeah. <laughs> then watch the whole thing and, and get my back the most, because I can't reach it real good when I take a bath, so he wanted the whole thing washed, yeah. And the lesson that, Je- that Jesus gave to him is, look, you don't have any part of me if you need the whole thing washed. <laughs> just for feet. So, yeah, that's amazing. Raymond, what about when he was in jail, and the angel came, and he thought he was having a vision? Yeah. He didn't think it was real, and then he ended up being released. He was like, oh, shoot, this whole thing was actually real. Yeah. And then he yeah, goes to the house. It's so much so that the, the people thought, you know, apparently Peter had a, an angel that followed him around. They, they looked like him because they thought it was his, his angel, whatever that means. They didn't even realize that it was really, that it was really him. So, yeah. Yeah, get to see that place bust open and him just walk. Yeah. Walk out. Um, one final thing. We all know about Peter's denial of Jesus three times, but John tells us that in that restoration where Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? He, has, he says, I want you, you the guy who rejected me, the guy who blew it all, I want you to feed my sheep. And the restoration is just incredible. Yeah. And he's now investing in yeah. Yeah, that public restoration of amazing. Well, I've got maybe two more that I want to point out that I think, and really the, the restoration is the uh, is is one of them. So really, maybe just the, just one more thing that I want to mention to you. Um, just think about the way the way Jesus called Peter. You know, he's out fishing. I think the way the story went was that he had been fishing, uh, didn't catch much. Jesus tells him to put the net down. And he, and he doubts. So, I mean, just like uh, you know, we, we've seen in some of the other stories that you guys have shared. He kind of doubts it, but he does, he does do what Jesus told him to do. He lets, the, he lets the net down to the point where the nets were just... So he literally watched Jesus. And he knew it couldn't be because it was just a hot time to go fishing. Because he had already... He, he knew this was not the time to go fishing. The night would have been, and this has been a bad night fishing. And he watches his nets get just full of faith. He watched Jesus command command the created, you know, fish to come and, and, and swim into Peter's net. I mean, he watched that take place. And you just remember for a second, what was Peter's response in that moment? <laughs> did, did he jump up and down and say, man, we're rich, let's go! No. He was so humbled and awestruck by what Jesus had just done that he fell down and was like, nope, I can't, I can't go with you. Which is another one of those statements where Jesus said, no, you are going to go with me. I'm going to change. I'm going to change what you fish for. You know, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So just the way that, that Jesus called Peter was, uh, it was again, it was unique. It was, it was tremendous. And, uh, and we watched the way he started his journey with Jesus all of the his life and journey as a believer was one. Uh, it was you know I think of it like a roller coaster ride, uh, you know, with the, with the denials and all these different things. Um, I mean, it was just a constant bouncing back and forth between glory and shame and glory and shame, mistakes and 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 things that that get, that he got right and things that got wrong. I just want you to notice that when Peter wrote this letter. He could have used one of a couple different names, but he used that name. He used the name that Jesus gave him. He didn't use his given name. Simon was his given name. And in 2 Peter, if you look, it's, well, well, that gets into the chosen. I'm not going to, I don't want to, yeah. Um, but if, if, you get, if you get into the, um, the, the second letter, he starts the second letter by introducing himself as Simon Peter. I mean, I just wanted to make the point that that's the name he chose when he wrote this letter. He chose the name that Jesus had given to him. The, the life that was, that was changed by Jesus, he wanted to make sure at the beginning of this letter to communicate 
that that is that is who this is writing this letter. He didn't use his Hebrew naming. He used the, the name that Jesus had given to him. The, the, the Greek translation of the word Cephas, which means the rock, that's how he introduced himself. Now my question to you is, why do you think he used that name as opposed to his, his given Hebrew name? Do you think along the lines that I do, there's something significant to that? I think there is. Because again, Second Peter, I did actually put that verse in there. Let me skip ahead to somewhere. Oh well. Yeah, there it is. Simon Peter, a servant apostle. So that was the way he introduced Second Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So why do you think that's you think that's significant? If so, why? <laughs> to use Peter instead of Simon Simon Peter. You think he was just trying to uh, remind the church of what Jesus had done in his life, the authority he's as an apostle. Uh, of Jesus Christ, the authority that Jesus had given to him. So the deal is, you might understand now that we've talked through all these things why I am so excited to study these letters with you. It's because I feel like I can relate to Peter. Am I the only one that feels that way? Do you see yourself? I can see myself almost in every one of these examples in some way. I mean, I've, you know, it, it, I've never walked on water, but I have certainly stepped out in faith thinking I was doing something you know, really great for God only to, to wind up on my face thinking, man, that, was, that seems like a disaster, only to then realize that what Jesus wanted from me was me, not whatever you know, great thing that I could do, <clears throat> and that He wanted me to learn from that lesson even of, of failure. That He is the one that can restore. He's the one that's at work. I need to trust in Him. Can you see yourself in these examples that we've talked about? <clears throat> Do you sometimes, without calculating the consequences, say things or do things that you regret later? Do you sometimes act or react out of emotion or self-preservation? Even? You know, Peter denied Jesus three times was him trying to preserve himself. He, he felt like, I need, to, I need to make sure I don't die in this moment. It looks like Jesus is you know, going to die here. I need to preserve myself. And he... He, he denied Jesus three times. Do you ever do that? Have you ever said something or done something that was really you trying to preserve yourself when really it showed a lack of faith that God is the one that's able to hold you and no one can snatch you out, no one can destroy you. The enemy can't do anything to you as long as you're in his hands and you're going to stay in his hands all the way to the end. I relate to that. We can see the wisdom that, that Peter had learned pouring out through these words. And I want you to try to see, as we read through this and study through this, all of these things that we've shared, all of Peter's background coming through this letter. His life was a roller coaster, like I said. I would say that his life was so much different, it seems, than Paul. When I read about Paul, who, who you know, uh, kind of boasted about being the Jew of Jews, I don't think he was being arrogant in any kind of way. I think he was trying to, you know, he was trying to prove a point and trying to uh, help explain the work that had taken place in his life. But Paul had a different journey. Paul was a faithful follower of God all the way up until the time when he began to persecute the church because his eyes had not been, uh, you know, he had not been revealed to him yet that, that he was actually persecuting Jesus. And then even as we read Paul's writings, we don't see a lot of Paul. You know, at most we, we hear him say, I'm the chief of sinners. And I'm like, man, why can't you give me some more details, Paul? I don't know. By, by that, do you just mean that you, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, what did he mean by that? With Peter, we can see the things that he did. With Paul, we don't really see it as much. So I respect Paul, obviously. I've studied his writings. Uh, the majority of my Christian life, that's where the focus has, has been. But I will say I relate so much more to Peter. I highly respect Paul's faithfulness and all the things God did through Paul's life. It's tremendous. But man, do I ever relate to the life of Peter and all the things that he went through that we look at and kind of laugh at. But again, we're not disparaging him in any kind of way. Uh, man, I love this guy. I can't wait to meet him one day. But I think I'm going to be, uh, I don't know how it's all going to work, but I think I'm going to be at, at this long line of people that agree, man, I want to meet, I want to meet this guy. I want to hear the stories firsthand of what it was like and what he saw. But I relate to him. All of what Peter was going through from the time that he was fishing and didn't catch any fish that night to being humbled by Jesus as the nets were full 
till the time of this letter, all that he went through in his life was a part of making him who he was in this moment. So I would just say to you, somebody kind of already said this, how much comfort do you get when you see all of these things that Peter went through and then you read this letter and all the things God has done in his life, how much comfort does that bring to you? And it brings a tremendous amount to me. Because sometimes we feel like the things that we do wrong, the mistakes that we make disqualify us from being used in a mighty way to usher in and be a part of God's kingdom and do things, uh, you know, to, to be a part of, of God using us in a big way. We think that the mistakes that we make disqualify us. And I would just say to you, by looking at Peter's life, we can definitively say that it's not that those mistakes disqualify us. Sometimes it's those mistakes that actually qualify us. God uses those mistakes that we make. If we, we call it learning from our mistakes. But if we make those mistakes and we learn from them and are changed by them, then I would say those mistakes then become a part of what qualifies us to do the things that God wants us to do. We have to learn from our mistakes. Sometimes people do, sometimes people don't. Sometimes people make mistakes and they wallow in them and they stay in them and they won't get up and move on. They stay where they are and they let that mistake be an excuse why they can't do anything for Jesus. And I'm saying to you, if anybody had a reason to make excuses, it maybe would have been Peter. I just messed up too many times. But I think the reason why Jesus came to him and restored him publicly three times because he wanted Peter to know that, look, this isn't about you. It's about the work that I'm going to do in you and through you. You trust in me, and I will change your future and use you to impact the kingdom. So I would say to you this morning, no, we didn't get all the way through. This is, one of my, this is my first stopping point. Remember I had two? <laughs> this is the first stopping point, and we'll stop. But I hope this morning, just by reading these, these words, let me go back to... Uh, yeah, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles under dispersion. I hope just by reading those words this morning, knowing what you know about Peter, learning what we've learned even this morning, maybe some of those stories you haven't thought about in a long time, but I'm hoping this morning as you think about this letter and you think about Peter's life, that you will, you will take great comfort. Maybe you're going through one of those moments in your life right now that is a mistake. Maybe you're going through a time right now that you think disqualifies you to make an impact on the kingdom. And I would just say to you, properly deal with those things that you're going through. If you're, if you're trapped or you're caught or you're doing, you know, you're doing something or making some kind of a mistake, repent of that mistake, turn from it, and be changed. Get up and run the race that God has set before you. And that's me. Quoting Paul, I'm going to try not to do that a lot because I really want to stick with what we're learning through Peter. But I just want you and I this morning to leave here encouraged as we look at the life of Peter and his background that God is at work, it is Him at work, and He will complete that work all the way to its completion. So wherever you are, wherever you are, learn from those things that you're going through and let God use you however He desires. So I'm going to, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say there's a, tremendous similarity between Peter and Paul both, that there's no greater, almost no greater example in the Bible of two men disrobing themselves of pride. Mm. And I think that's why they were able to do the things in God that they were able to do. Amen. Praise God. Any other con concluding remarks or thoughts before I pray? And we'll move on to the Lord's Supper. I just remembered um, earlier and it made my heart kind of weak. Um, just when Peter saw Jesus after on the shore, and Jesus and after Jesus had resurrected, and um, and he was the one disciple in the boat who just jumped out and just started swimming towards Jesus. Just, just mm. such an image that just we should we should just dive and run towards him. Amen. Yeah, the work that God did in Peter's life, I would say God wants to work in our lives, and uh, just be encouraged this morning by it. And in the weeks to come, read through it, be ready, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of go, we're not going to take uh, 
we're not going to take a full teaching for every verse, so don't be scared. We're not going to be into this next year, uh, I promise. Well, I say that, but, uh, but just know that, that we're not going to take much time. But I'm excited to see all that God wants to do as we learn. I was thinking that uh, Peter realized it simply wasn't about Peter. There was a Christ. Amen. And if we stop thinking maybe about what God can do through me, and not even think about that, but just that everything is about Christ. Just take me out of the equation. Amen. Take me out of the equation. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.